This is a show about the technology category that has quickly captured the world's attention and imagination. We sit down with some of the smartest and savviest business leaders and technologists to unpack what the rise of generative AI may mean for you and your business. I'm your host, Ryan Kurt. Welcome to the AI Lab. In this episode, you'll hear from Chris Holman, a product leader and founder with over two decades of experience in the tech industry. Chris is currently the VP of Product Management at FICX and founder of Velocity AI, a consultancy helping businesses drive growth and embrace the AI revolution with confidence. From scale-ups to industry goliaths like Cisco, Adobe, and Amazon, Chris specializes in digital transformation, accelerating engineering efforts up to 50% through resource alignment, product development, and new technologies. Chris, thank you for joining the AI Lab podcast. Great to see you again. Nice to see you again too, Ryan. Chris and I have been talking the last couple of weeks, and once this podcast started getting off the ground, he's one of the first people I wanted to have on. I met Chris 2017 or 2018. Yeah, we were working on a project, very large kind of global bank, and we were doing some very early stuff with generative language models and, and generative AI. So I guess to start, Chris, that, that project we worked on at that big bank, in my re- recollection, it went really well in certain aspects, but there was definitely some roadblocks and some learnings on all sides there. So what would you share from that experience from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, those were those were early days. I know it was only, what, five years ago now, uh, but it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, obviously, things have changed significantly in the last couple of years, and that, that rate of change is only going to accelerate. Reflecting back to when we worked together, uh, you know, the the... The outcome of what we produced was was actually quite amazing. I was I was very impressed because it was the first time I'd actually seen that application, uh, you know, firsthand. Was we were able to actually use this to generate documentation for for the bank, proxy statements, and the other documentation that was compliance and risk related. And having the ability to automate that process was was quite impressive. From my memory, there was maybe a couple reasons why some use cases didn't move forward or the bank just didn't, at the time, didn't apply it everywhere that it could. Can you talk to maybe some of the reasons why it, either the technology wasn't ready for game time or the bank wasn't? Like, how, how would you kind of summarize that? Well, like I said, it was, it, was, it was early days. And I think part of that was there was a lot of manual steps and processes you had to go through to set up the model to be productive. And it wasn't something you could change on the fly. You couldn't ask it to create a new model based on some new criteria that you wanted to put into a prompt. I mean, you had to go back and mechanically set this thing up, fine tune it. And that took weeks. It took weeks to set up a model. And then the outcome, you know, wasn't perfect when you started. And that took more time as well. And so Ultimately, you could get to a, a, a steady state where you were happy with what you were seeing. But if there was any variation or change to how that model was supposed to work, you had to start all over again. And that was that was very timely. It was, it was expensive, right? It just it took time. And at some point, you had to do, uh, as sort of the owner of the business, you have to be like, is this the ROI that I want out of this tool? You know, should I just go hire a bunch of people to do this? Or is this automated feature really generating the types of results I need? the pace that I want. Right. I, I think safe to say, seeing what's happening with GPT and other language models, a lot of those challenges no longer exist. I think there's new challenges because back then we were running on-premise and it was completely secure, no outside data going in or out. So from a banking perspective, it was super compliant. Those are obviously challenges today, but uh, would you agree that that type of use case would be faster and cheaper to do today? 
Yeah, the ability to lock in on the problem statement and the, to produce the outcome is is you know a million times better than what where we started. I think back in the time frame. I think some of the challenges still are presented themselves in in terms of you know what data should be training on or training against. How proprietary should that model be versus leveraging some of these great open source you know LMM models that are out there today. Those are the types of decisions I think a bank would still have to make. But I think the ability to, to stand up and have the types of outcomes, you know, that at least the, the potential for those outcomes is much, much better today. I mean, I think that I think the whole the whole world around content creation is is changing at a, at a super rapid pace. And today it's like banks don't have the option. Like back then, maybe you had the option of saying, no, I could just hire 100 people and do the same thing. Now it's like, no way. No way could you make that kind of trade off today. You have to automate. You have to be all in on this, regardless of what type of industry you're in. Right. We've been in this space for a long time and have had a lot of time to see this technology evolve and even use it ourselves. Banking is is one application that we've worked on. It's maybe not the, the sexiest area to talk about. But one of the things that you said to me a couple of weeks ago is what gets you really excited about this space is the potential to really build things to help people and, and help a lot of people, their lives better, help their companies perform better as a builder. You're, you're a product executive. You like to provide vision and build things. Talk a bit about how you see this technology potentially having a positive impact on people and, and how do you personally see yourself kind of fitting into that as a, as a person with that type of technical aptitude? Yeah, I think the impact, at least the impact to me and, and the others that I've spoken to and those that are in, in business uh, is pretty profound. And, and I see this in multiple different levels. At a real basic level, just having the ability to collate information and present it to you in a very creative way through a prompt is, is fascinating. It certainly stirs the mind around in the different directions you could take that. Uh, I, I think, you know, moreover, where I see the benefit of this and where I see it being the most helpful is actually being a co-pilot, someone that can actually be a 24-7 aid in helping you do your job, right? It, this this notion of co-pilot is quite powerful. And most recently, I was I was listening to a uh, podcast from Sal Khan, the founder of Khan Academy, and he spoke a lot about how this is impacting education. I think education and especially you know, parts of industry where there's a lot of there's a lot of learning that <clears throat> needs to take place. It's, it's very impactful because it gives you this ability to apply, as Khan put it, a Socratic method, a Socratic dialogue around ideas and content and put that that level of reasoning. So all of a sudden you have an instant coach. So if you're trying to come up with, say, in my, or like a business plan or a product roadmap or trying to define products for requirements, this has now the ability to help you think through those problems more clearly, provide different levels of, levels of context. You can bring in other data. Um, and, and think about uh, your solution, your problem in many different ways. So it just expands the uh, sheer potential of what you're trying to do. And I think that's like the, 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 the mass benefit and how this helps others. It's like, you know, this again can apply to practically any profession, especially a profession where you're taking in data, you're taking in input and you have to reason, you know, on, make a reasonable guess about what are the outcomes and how do you apply that data to the problem you're working through. And this is just going to accelerate that process. Yeah, you're, you're hitting on something that really resonates with me because any individual that has a strong intention of this is where I want to go, I, I want to accomplish this goal, or I want to do this thing, 
but I don't know how to, I don't know how to get there, but I have the drive, the motivation, the discipline, someone just help me. And, and don't just give me the, the PowerPoint, you know, every day, keep me on track, analyze where I'm at, uh, in education, it's, I took a test. I didn't get the grade that I wanted, but then tell me exactly what I should go study and, and put me to the materials or even give me assessments to get better at that skill. We've almost democratized expertise, guidance, and coaching in, in some way. And, and it could be applied, like you said, to any domain. Uh, so I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I really, I hope that if we look out a couple of years, looking back at what happened with all this technology, I, I hope that's a top one or two headlines that we see. Do you think that will be the case? Or do you think the side of the coin is misinformation and all of the dangerous stuff that we're already seeing is starting to happen? Do you have predictions on that? Do you see that playing out a certain way? Well, I mean, I think others have, have planned on this. I agree that the, it, this sort of falls into two camps, right? There's the optimistic camp of like, you know, especially a lot of these tools for today are, are open source. Um, and there's this notion of share the information. Part of the reason behind that is that they're using us as, as part of the training set for these models, right? Every time we put in a query into that model, we're, we're training it. And that's, that's, that's good and bad. It's, it's good because you're making the models smarter, giving them more context to, to provide better responses every time you interact with it. At the same time, you know, you're putting in biases into the model. You're putting in some of the good and bad of humanity into that training set. And there should be some recognition that, you know, the models are going to train and build upon what they learn. They don't necessarily have that moral compass or the guidance behind them to say, this is a good point of view, or this is the, the right way to take this type of query versus not, right? They just don't have those, those boundaries set in. So you know, my hope is, my optimistic hope is that the creators of these models recognize that. Um, we'll think about the sort of the, the guardrails to put in place around where the models can go, because it could get to a point where it's not even beneficial anymore. If everybody's doing the same queries and getting the same outputs, then, you know, there, there's no difference and there's no improvement to that. If it's open source and you give it the boundary to be creative, but have sort of this I don't know what you want to call like a moral compass built into it that says, you know, this is the right line of thinking and questioning and let's expand from that. I think that that could be a, a force of good. Yeah. And I think you're already seeing nations like Italy, uh, you're seeing entire companies, entire universities have blocked access to it. What I've seen is there are ways to control the models and ensure that you prompt it in a way so that the hallucinations and the bias that can be prompted out of the system in that if you have a use case, you can tell it, you know, I, I want you to be like a college professor who's got this background and, and you have these sort of uh, restrictions on what you can say. And I want you to take this type of personality. When you think about that first decision, which I think most companies are facing is, do we even allow these technologies inside the company or, or not? How would you advise an executive to approach that decision? Yeah, we are at a crossroads that you rightly stated out, like every leader of every company and organization and even government body is going to have to make a decision about how to use this technology. And it's critical because it's, it's going to create a digital divide. For those that choose to go down the path of using the, the tool and using it you know, ethically and appropriately and using it for, for, for good, they're going to have an advantage at least in the near term, a distinct advantage over their competition, over their peers. And those that don't, 
that close it down, restrict it, or even just try to bring it in-house and just train on proprietary data sets, they're, they're just not going to have that advantage and it's, and it's going to set them back. The flip side is, is if I'm a branding agency and I allow my employees to run all their ideas, unfettered, unchecked, without any guardrails through these models, the models are going to train and learn how you do your job, which is great. But at the same time, your competitors are going to get the benefit of that as well. They're going to come in and, and run the same types of queries and get responses that, you know, you trained and you're leveling the playing field, you know, and, and maybe that's a good thing, but you have to be conscious about what it is you're doing. Cause I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of that information, maybe it needs to be open source anyway, um, because I think the value that ultimately AI brings to humans is to help us think better and help us accelerate our ability to be experts in that field, right? You, you still need to be an expert at branding. If you're a, a real estate agent, you still need to be expert on how to market and sell a home. And you can use these tools to do all the hands-on work of creating that marketing content, doing the branding, doing the messaging, doing the customer acquisition, doing the sales, doing the paperwork, all that could be automated. But at the end of the day, you still have to have knowledge about who your customers are, how to speak with them, how to help them solve their problems. And, and the AI can't do that, at least not today. And I don't think the AI is ever going to replace a human for, for that need. Yeah. You touched on a good point, which is companies taking their trade secrets or their unique way of approaching their markets and you put into the model, you know, unless it's a secured kind of cordoned off version of it that no one else gets access to, no one else benefits from that. And you kind of have this decision of, are we just propping up everybody else that maybe isn't at our same level or something? But do you think that's going to invite this opportunity for companies to almost rebuild GPT on their own? I've been reading that it's not as costly or as difficult as it once was to just rebuild an entire system and get more contained, whether it's on your own proprietary data plus the entire internet or just your data and some other corpus of data. So do you think we're going to see like a bifurcation where companies are going to be building their own versions that are proprietary to themselves? Or do you think that the open source aspect of it is so enticing because you use the benefit of so much knowledge and already pre-trained system that's so refined? How, how do you see those decisions playing out? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think in some level, it comes down to the use case. You know, going back to what we did five, six years ago in banking, if you're trying to build something that's related to compliance, has a high degree of risk, it's very proprietary to your business. Having a model internally that you train, that you know what goes into it, you have a lot of control around the output, makes a lot of sense. But realize that model is going to be far inferior to an open source model. If you're looking for that model to do anything creative to, to help your business grow substantially, you know, don't don't look at that way. Think of that model more as a hot 2.0. It's just automation. And by restricting it, it's just going to stay that way. It's not going to really mature. To, to get the true benefit out of AI longer term, you're going to have to embrace the open source model. And I think that's the that's what you're going to see. You're going to see this bifurcation of different use cases, both proprietary use cases, as well as the, how do I use this model to really connect at a much larger scale? Because that's where all the training is happening. We've talked a little bit about how you would advise a, a leader or an executive facing these decisions today. Let's go a bit deeper into that. Uh, 
what would be the next step? So if you're a big insurance company or a big retailer and you're the CEO, what is the first step to assess what should our AI strategy be? I'm sure every board in the world is going to the people running the business that they're the board of and saying, what's your plan? What's your strategy? And they're probably offering ideas as well. But if you're sitting in that chair, what would you tell a CEO? What is the next step that you should take right now to sort of start figuring this out for your business? Yeah, right now, everyone should be asking themselves, am I, am I ready for this? You know, do I have the right, the right structure in place uh, to, to know how to best utilize this as a, as a resource? And to the point that it doesn't, it doesn't make me nervous or, or put my business at risk or jeopardy of being outdated quickly. You know, I've spoken to countless people and I, and I, every time, everyone I talk to these, these days, it doesn't really matter who it is. I'm like, oh, have you heard of this and how are you using it today? spoken to lots of people in, in a very in diverse set of businesses and they're like, oh yeah, well, I'll do this. I'll go in there and I'll, I'll put a prompt and I'll, I'll use it to create some sort of outcome. And then my next question to that is, is like, well, does your, how does your company think of that? Are they aware that you're doing this? Are they involved in any, you know, aspect of that decision? They're like, no, no, I just decided to go and do it. I'm like, okay, all right. And so I, you know, as the CEO of that business, regardless of what it is, I, I need to have a point of view. I need to understand that my employees are are doing this today and, and then potentially putting in information in to the to the model that, you know, I might be a little bit concerned about. I would also have this expectation is that there's there's people in my organization that are going to be good at using the tool and, and others that are not. And there's no consistency applied to how how people will approach it. And there might be a there might be a 50 percent of your of your employees that never use it. Is that a problem? And now you're going to have a divide in, in usage throughout that organization. So, so these types of things that I think every, everybody should be thinking through and coming up with the right model and framework for, for usage of it. And, and then also have a longer term vision for that, the, the latter part of that point that we just discussed. Is this something I want proprietary in-house? Do I want to use the open source version? And how do I think it's going to help my business long term? Yeah, I think you touched on a few things. We've been talking to a lot of business leaders for the last couple of months. And what I've seen is there's there's two types of activities that you can take right now. One is sort of this idea of a playground or literally just playing with the technology to gain familiarity, educate yourself, make sure your people are educated. And then the other side is sort of the self-assessment for enterprise-wide. What's our readiness for this? And where are the opportunities? Where do we see low-hanging fruit use cases that we can deploy tomorrow that also have high impact? That's more of the strategy and planning side. My advocacy that I've been pushing people on is don't wait to start playing around with it because there is infinite number of use cases that you can test with fake data or your own prompts that don't introduce risk into your business or into your personal life. There's no reason to not start that now, but on the readiness side and, and audit, right, of, of where your company's at, do you think that's something that companies should leave to their own people to do? Or do you, do you think you need to bring in outside experts? Because I, I do think there is a level of, I guess, where if, if you've been inside your company for long enough, you don't really see how the rest of the economy operates. You know, people get very focused on their company and how they operate, right? So what does the team look like? that you would bring in to do that self-assessment? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like anything. I mean, oftentimes you don't have the expertise in-house 
to really think about this holistically because your employees and the people that you hire, you hired them to focus on a, on a specific problem, right? Their problem isn't how to deploy and demarketize the use of chat GPT or some other AI internally. Their, their job is to focus on helping their customers in solving those problems. And so it's, it would be unfair to basically say, okay, now do your job, plus do this other job of assessing how this new technology is going to deploy across the organization, right? Almost, almost every, especially large organization, usually has a line of business or has a function that, that does those sorts of assessments around new tools, like when Slack was introduced or when some new chat feature was introduced or even going back to when, you know, when mobile devices were first brought into the organization, huge upheaval, right? And it went through a lot of, a lot of maturity before it became more mainstream. And I think this level of maturity is, is going to occur with, with AI. I definitely think every business should employ an expert in the field that does nothing but look at how businesses can ethically, but also write a level of efficacy about how to use these tools and know a focus in, in, in uh, guide their resources in the, in the most capable way to get it done. Because if you just say you ignore it and you let it be organic, you're just going to, again, go back to this digital divide between your people and you're probably going to have outcomes that you're not going to be happy with downstream as, you know, different levels of usage and different levels of sharing of data into the tool potentially put your company at risk. Yeah. This technology, it's been around for a long time, right? The, the idea of a language model is not new, but I, there was obviously a threshold of competency and capability that was reached very recently that has had this massive waterfall effect of we went from zero users or very small number of users of ChatGPT to a hundred million really almost overnight, right? Uh, and so I, I think this idea that there are experts out there, that it's a little scary because there's a very small number of people who have been around this in a practical sense long enough to say they're experts. I think to me, it's just having a strong foundation for how you assess your company's challenges and opportunities outside of technology. Because if you have a strong foundation of this is what we're trying to do as a company, these are the biggest problems. Now let's go figure out how to solve them. And, and maybe AI or a language model, maybe that's part of the solution. Maybe it's not. But I, I think we're entering a very noisy time where so many companies are building their own versions of this and that. So many consulting firms are saying that they're the experts in this or that. I think there's going to be a lot of confusion in market. Companies not really knowing where to turn, find that level of expertise. Well, it, I mean, it's at it, some level, it, it's new to everyone. I would say, you know, putting on my, my product hat, you have to do this in an iterative approach, right? The models are the models. They're going to get better. That's great. The application, though, this is the interface between the human and the model that needs iteration, all right? And if you're trying to launch a new product, you don't take it and just shove it out in the market and say, here you go, have fun, you know, pay me for it. You actually have to validate the model, right? And, and, and no one's thinking about, you know, validating, you know, a, a large open source model like that. But the, the use cases are still to come. You'll, you're already seeing a proliferation of applications and everyone's claiming you know, now we've implemented and we've onboarded our AI into our platform and it does X, Y, and Z, which is great. You're going to see some expansion of capability of some platforms, but, but at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily change the nature of what those platforms do or how they work. You still have to have the human on the other side, have the, the expertise and skills to even know what to ask or how to, how to use that information. And that doesn't change. I think what does change is 
is how the human on the other end of this interacts with these models and how you can better train that. In the greater context of an organization, and that's where, where you start. You can't just walk in and say, I'm an expert. I'm going to solve all your problems. Here's what you do with, with model. And, and it's, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be hundred times better than your competitors. It's not going to work that way. It's more, here's a framework. Here's what we think we could, we, we're going to do. Here's the hypothesis behind it. Here's how it's going to expand across our organization. And here's how I think we'll reach a certain level of maturity around usage of this model to make ourselves better and to make our employees better, to make our executives better. And I think it has the, the potential to do that. Yeah. What is one use case that you think will come out of this that as of right now seems very unconventional or unexpected? Yeah. The one that, that sort of strikes me today, and I know it's, it's still maybe a little bit uh, out in the future, maybe not too far in the future, is this level of personalization that you can provide anybody through any type of interface. And, and to think of it this way, I mean, you've, we've all seen the examples of where someone's written down an idea on a piece of paper, they've taken a picture of it, they've given it to ChatGPT, and all of a sudden it spits out an application. So, you know, that's a little contrived the way those ideas were presented, but at the same time, you can see the immediate power of being able to create at will on the fly. The next version of, of ChatGPT, I already know, has this interaction, right? You're going to be able to speak with it and say, oh, great, create an application that will coordinate all my kids' sports schedules so I don't have to put that into the calendar, right? And it'll do it. And it'll just spit out an application for you, personalized for you. You think about that on mass scale, uh, we're, you know, we're, you know, tens of millions of applications today, that's just going to grow exponentially, right? All of a sudden, everyone's going to have their own applications or are going to have their own personal applications, which is kind of mind blowing. Who do you who do you call when there's a bug or the right, the, app, exactly. the, the application that GPT built for you? Who? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so where does that end? And maybe we evolve beyond it. I've I've heard some other thought leaders say that look, we're going to grow beyond the internet as we know it today. We'll grow beyond apps as we know them today. It'll be more ambiguous in the future. And so this notion of application proliferation. It's just going to keep going down and, until it all sort of, I think, reaches some sort of what singularity where it's the application that you interact with, not the 10 million that you do today. It just becomes one. Uh, and so that to me is, you know, it's kind of a scary thought, but at the same time, you can, you can see it happening. You can see the, the price of building applications dropping precipitously and, and the amount of technical knowledge is just decreasing exponentially. Apps will be free. Digital interactions you have today will be somewhat personalized to you. You can go through through the thought process of yeah, like this. This AI is going to know me, so it's actually going to start. It'll probably start building applications that I don't even know I need yet, and serve them up to me and say, "Would you like this?" I'm like, "Oh, that sounds great. Sure, I'll, I'll take it." Until it reaches to this point of like, you don't need applications anymore. You don't need the internet as we know it anymore. It just becomes something you interact with. It's interesting because we had the internet age and then the mobile age. And the platforms that we used ended up becoming homogenous in the sense that, you know, Google became the search engine. Chrome, Chrome for the most part, maybe Safari, became the way you would kind of surf the web. And then on mobile, it's mostly the iPhone with maybe you've got some Droid users out there. I think what you're saying is that the way that we all interface with the internet or applications, et cetera, if that becomes hyper-personalized to each individual person, we've almost lost this shared experience a little bit, Right. That is kind of a scary thought that if almost every person has their own view into their own world and the world around them, and it's super specific to them, 
where did the shared experiences come from? Well, Chris, I, this was awesome. I would love for this to be a regular conversation because I think you have a lot to offer the, the people I'm trying to help. Awesome. No, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AI Lab Podcast. If you are a business leader trying to better navigate the world of generative AI, connect with us on social and at the AILab.ai. You'll find more content and conversations in both places. See you next time.